Light has long been one of the strongest, most meaningful symbols in all of life. In every culture, poets, artists, musicians, filmmakers, they've all been drawn to light. Light exudes life. No, no more than that, it, it screams life. Light is filled with promise and hope. But without an opposite, something that's in direct opposition to it, we could never fully understand the full depth or the impact of light. So standing in a corner opposite of light, there is the dark. It occupies space seen metaphorically by those very same artists as a place of loneliness, separation, confusion, distraction. Darkness is often dangerous. Darkness is a place of ignorance. It's a place that makes us uneasy just by its presence. Even now in this building that we're so used to being lit, darkness can bring unease. Instead of a a place of promise, at best we find darkness a place of uncertainty, and at worst, a space that is dangerously destructive and hopeless. So humanity has fought against the physical darkness in every way it can. Fire, torches, flashlights, you name it. All in the hope of pushing back the darkness until the day comes. Until the time when light pierces through the darkness. What about the darkness that shrouds our soul? And our emotions, our thoughts, our circumstances. Is it any different? Or can something hopeful and circumstance changing actually happen when a little light gets introduced into a dark place? Can darkness become less a place of fear? Can a little bit of light begin to expose great truth? Can a little bit of light begin to make things visible, bring definition, and in fact bring some hope? Two weeks ago, I was standing along with seven others outside a very tired-looking building in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. This was a home. It was more of a wooden box than a home. One large common room, not a bit of furniture. We were in a slum district of Phnom Penh. We were standing in the bright natural noonday light and we we walked through the small doorway into this space. And as our eyes tried to adjust to the darkness from the blinding light, it was hard. It was confusing. We could make out some shapes. There were probably about 20 or so people in this space. But it wasn't until our eyes began to adjust that light seemed to begin to emerge, that we could begin to recognize our space. It was less uncomfortable the more our eyes began to adjust. But they had to adjust. The men and women in this room began to tell stories. They were stories of HIV and AIDS. All of them had the infection in one form or another. They talked about how their spouses had infected them. They talked about their own careless decisions. They talked about the discrimination and the stigmatization they have faced. They talked about their children also 
many infected. There were tears. There were muted voices. There was much sorrow. The darkness seemed overwhelming because darkness always does seem overwhelming. And then some other stories began to emerge. And it was as if, as if someone was walking through this very dark space and lighting small candles like this. Quivering light began to emerge all throughout the room as these stories emerged. It began illuminating the space as members of this HIV AIDS group described how others just like them had reached out to them. How others had given them hope. They had told them how to live. They had taught them how to care for themselves in the midst of their infections. Smiles and laughter began to stand side by side with tears and sadness. The light was growing. The flickering candle was becoming a gospel-fueled conflagration. You see, the fact is, this was a new cell church. This was the first group of believers in this community, in this part of Phnom Penh. Jesus, light of the nations, He had moved into the neighborhood. And the darkness was beginning to take flight. Now, now one more lady squeezed into the room rather late in our time there. She was in effect the community's John the Baptist. She was the one who was making the way possible and making the way straight for Jesus to come and for His story to be told. She told us her story and she described it as a blessed one, not a cursed one. Although she told us that her husband had infected her with HIV ten years, over ten years ago and he had died subsequently about eight years ago. She told us about her five children, all of whom were infected. And then she said this, which made no sense, and in doing so drove more darkness out of that room. She said, I, and I want to quote it exactly, for her words deserve to be heard as she said them. She said, I am so blessed by God. Whenever I am weary, I just pray to God because He is my strength. He is my strength. She was the waymaker that John the Baptist in this community. And as she told her story, both through tears and laughter, we got to see a place where in this neighborhood, for the first time, Jesus had moved into the community. And the darkness was beginning to give way to light. Friends, it was two weeks ago that we gathered in this very same place and you prayed for a team of us who were headed to Southeast Asia. There were eight of us on that team and we went to spend time encouraging brothers and sisters who were bringing light in a dark place. I had the privilege on that team of serving, not just leading it, serving alongside this amazing group of people, but one of the great pleasures for me was that I got to sit and learn from one of our really terrific practical theologians, and that's Pastor Annie McLaren. Annie, who is the pastor of our, our middle school ministry, for the better part of a week I got to sit as she led us through Scripture and led these workers through Scripture. 
Pastor Greg asked us, on this second week of Advent, focused on the light breaking through, would we share some stories from Southeast Asia from our two weeks there? Would we do it reflecting on our scripture passages for the week and see where God would move us and what he might call us to? So Pastor Annie is going to open the word and some reflections from this week's scripture. Good morning, church family. Our passage in Isaiah today um, begins with a picture of darkness. It depicts a world that is full of darkness. People are living in darkness. People are walking around in a deep darkness. But it's not just talking about a situation. Um, It's not just talking about how it's dark in this room. There is texture to this darkness. It's like it's it's a tangible Darkness. It's almost like you have to we, like, find your way through it. Um, it's sticky. It's layered with gritty shadows. It envelops its victims. It surrounds its victims. It's, th- it's threatening to drown them. I remember a couple of years ago, I was on a trip with my family, and we were kayaking down the Hudson River. And at one point, we took a break to go into this cave. And the cave was also the place where there was a hot spring. And so the deeper we walked into the cave, um, the darker it got. The deeper you got into the cave, the more you had to feel around you to know where you were going. But also the deeper you got into the cave, hot air displaced cold air until the air was literally thick. It was humid. It was hot. It was suffocating. You couldn't see anything and you could barely breathe. I think this is a picture of what Isaiah is talking about here as he is describing the human condition. There are two words in Hebrew um, to describe darkness here. And the second one is only used twice in the whole Old Testament, here and in the book of Job. You guys, if anybody knew pain, if anybody knew darkness, it was Job. And here Isaiah is talking about that same kind of deathly darkness, the kind that traps you, the kind that keeps you locked up. The women that, that Scott was talking about in Cambodia, they knew this deep and abiding, and I use that word intentionally, abiding darkness. And we, whether we know it or not, we know this deep darkness and it plagues us. We try to escape it, but it is there. The people of Israel that um, Isaiah first wrote this message to, the, the people who first heard these words, they knew this deep darkness. And for them, they would have interpreted it in light of their present circumstances. They were being ruled by a really wicked king, King Ahaz. This was a man who had turned his eyes away from the Lord, away from Yahweh, had started worshiping other gods. He took the actual treasures and the silver and the actual doors of the temple and he gave them away to the king of Assyria, their enemy, their oppressor. He just gave that stuff away, that stuff that was so valuable to the people of God. This man went so far as to sacrifice his own son in a fire. This was a dangerous, this was an evil man and he was bringing the people of Israel down with him. If you don't care about your own son... You don't care about the people that you are ruling. The people were living in a deep darkness. 
But, Isaiah says, a light pierces the darkness. There is a deep darkness, but there is also a great light. Let me say that again. There is a deep and abiding darkness, but there is a great and abiding light. Isaiah 9-2 says this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, the land has almost been saturated with this deep darkness. A light has dawned. In this, um, the, the darkness is tangible, but the light has substance to it as well. And so there's almost like this crash. There's this confrontation between the light and the dark coming against one another with all of their power and all of their might. When we were in Phnom Penh, when we were in Cambodia, we saw this happen. There was one night when we were driving home, we had taken a retreat with the um, World Relief staff and their families. We had gone up into the hills with them. And we had just dropped them off, and we were on our way back to where we were staying. And as we were driving home, we saw um, three little kids enter into an intersection, which if there are any parents in the room, which I'm sure there are, you don't let your kids enter into an intersection alone. You definitely don't want to do that in Phnom Penh because streetlights are more of a suggestion rather than a law in Phnom Penh. It's a very dangerous place to be in the middle of an intersection. But here these kids were, probably a four-year-old, a six-year-old, and an eight-year-old. And they are going up to people on their motorcycles and in their cars, holding out their hands for many. They're holding out their hands, begging. And this was a hard to watch. I saw men on their motorcycles literally have to turn their heads away because they couldn't look at this child's eyes looking into them. I looked at the eight-year-old and she's old enough to know that something about this wasn't quite right. There was something about this that she knew was scary, was dark. The light turned green, and the car started going, and we watched as the kids headed back to a man, their handler. They gave the money to him. This man was using them for the money that they could get from people on the street, because who's not going to give money to an adorable little four-year-old girl with her hands held out? This was evil, you guys. This was dark. This was darkness incarnate. But moments beforehand, literally minutes beforehand, we had just dropped off a whole slew of kids who were joyful and who were playful and who would run and jump on us. They were silly. They were perfectly silly. Their parents loved Jesus. Their parents were the World Relief staff. And we had played all week. The parents had played. The kids had played. We had laughed and laughed and giggled and giggled. The great light that Isaiah talks about was so clearly in the children of our friends from World Relief. And the deep darkness that Isaiah talks about was so clearly on the streets of Phnom Penh. Light and dark were crashing into one another. You guys, in our passage, light crashes into darkness, but something different happens. It's not just crashing into each other. Light obliterates the darkness. Light obliterates the darkness in Isaiah 9. It pierces and it stabs and it seeps its way 
into the darkness, and it does so in the most curious way. It doesn't come with a lightning bolt. It doesn't come with this consuming fire. It comes with a little child. It comes with a birth of a little baby. Isaiah 9.6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on this little baby's shoulders. Can you imagine that? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The original hearers of this passage would have heard this vision and say, Our grief is going gonna, is gonna to be over. The light has done. We don't have to suffer anymore under this terrible king who sacrificed his own son in the fire. There is hope for us. There is going to be another king. And this would be King Hezekiah. The Bible tells us that King Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. He did what was right in the Lord. He got rid of the idols in the land. He led people. He may not have been the perfect king, but he led people away from the darkness. But it didn't stop there. The light of God would continue to pierce the darkness over and over and over again because that is what God's light does. It pierces and it penetrates and it seeps into the darkest, into the shadowiest parts of our lives because that's who God is. The kingdom of God breaks into our world and darkness loses its hold. Now, as I continue to read this passage, I have to ask the question, what is this darkness that Isaiah is talking about? What is this human condition that he's talking about? So for the people of Israel, it was very clear what their darkness was. They were suffering under an evil king. Um, They were not being taken care of. Their pain was very real. But they also suffered a different kind of darkness. They came from them themselves saying no to the great light saying, no, we will find our own way. They had fallen into the worship of idols. They had fallen into neglecting the poor and the most vulnerable around them. And my question for us is, is our darkness all that much different? Many of us, too many of us, find ourselves um, with a palpable loneliness. A loneliness that we can feel when we wake up in the morning. And a lingering despair. We know what it feels like to be paralyzed by fear, to be stuck in it. We know what it feels like to be unhinged by our anxiety. We know what it feels like to be overwhelmed by by grief, to be hit like a truck in the morning, every morning, by our depression. Too many of our brothers and sisters in this room and around the world know the pain of abuse, abandonment, and neglect. Too many of our brothers and sisters in this room and around the world struggle to put food on the table. Too many of our brothers and sisters in this room and around the world walk into a room and we don't know where we fit because we just don't believe that we are good enough. We don't believe that we are loved. We know this darkness far too well. It is thick, it is suffocating, and it threatens to take us down. 
But we also suffer a different kind of darkness that comes from saying no to the light. God has brought this great light. The great light has dawned in our lives. But instead of saying, yes, that is what I have been looking for, that is what I have been waiting for, we retreat into the shadows. We almost create our own shadows. And it's in this place that we find our idols. In these shadows, we find our idols. Instead of getting life and light and hope and peace and righteousness and justice from the great light, which is what God is offering us, we try to get hope from other things. And we may not have gods that are carved from wood, but we have idols that have our focus and our worship. Our idols come in all shapes and sizes. Yours might come, on for the students in the room, on a piece of paper that says A, A, A plus, A minus, and you would do anything to keep it that way. Some of us may have driven our idols to work this, I mean, to church this morning. And we care about what other people think when they look at the car that we drive. I know for me, my idol is the affirmation from other people. Good job, Annie. You're doing so great. You're so wonderful. You're so nice. Yada, yada, whatever. Um, And I start thinking, if I can only please other people, I will have life and have it to the full. Where did I learn that being a people pleaser was going to be the thing that pleased God the most? Where did we learn that having the perfect figure was part of God's kingdom plan? Where did we learn that being the perfect mom or being the perfect wife or being the perfect dad or being the perfect husband or being financially comfortable, that that was what would glorify God the most? When did we learn that living the American dream was part of God's kingdom plan? Church family, Jesus didn't tell us those things. Jesus didn't give us those ideas. We found our idols in the shadows. We run away from the great light and then we try to find the hope in these other things. And as we do so, we forget the poor. We forget those who are suffering. We forget those kids in Phnom Penh, those little kids who are begging for money, who are trapped. We forget about them. And then we find ourselves just withering. Our life is ebbing away from us and we wonder, how did we get here. Isaiah gives us a vision of hope. He speaks of a legendary light that is said to be able to pierce through the darkness. It showed up during the reign of Hezekiah, but it would show up over and over and over again in the history of Israel. God's kingdom would break into the darkest moments of Israel's, uh, of Israel's history. And when it came, it would bring joy. And it would bring peace. And it would bring righteousness. And it would bring justice. It would bring all of these beautiful things. The kingdom of God breaks into the world, and it doesn't look like a room full of people who are comfortable. It looks like a room full of people who are fighting for justice. It looks like a room full of people whose hearts are burning for the Lord, who have that fire inside of us. Light pierced darkness over and over again in the Old Testament. And God revealed over and over again that he was not done with us, that he would come to us 
over and over and over again. And yet, as we know, that cycle continued and darkness still had a hold. The temple of God eventually got destroyed. Evil kings would come after Hezekiah and continue to sacrifice their own kids in the fire. People still worshipped idols. The rich still oppressed the poor. The darkness was still there. So while this vision was partially fulfilled in the reign of Hezekiah, there was still more to come. They were still waiting in anticipation for what God would do. So finally, we come to John 1. In talking about the Word, in talking about Jesus, in John 1, 4 through 5, we read this, these words of hope. In Him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That great light that was prophesied in Isaiah 9, that great light that was said to pierce the darkness, you guys, He is here. These decorations that we see around us, that's because He is here in the person of Jesus Christ, in this baby boy that was born to us. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And this time it wouldn't just come in a flicker of light, it wouldn't just come in a flicker of hope, a glimmer of hope. It would come with an everlasting kingdom with the Prince of Peace, with a mighty God who would come and save the day, whose light would pierce into the deepest places of us that are dark and that are scary and that are ugly that we don't want to reveal to the world around us. He would pierce that. He would forgive it. He would love it. And He would reform us. He would make us whole. The light of God has come into our world in the person of Jesus. But before the light put on flesh... Before Jesus began, began his public ministry, um, a man named John, John the Baptist, came and he testified to this light. He went around telling people about the light, pointing people to the light, preparing people for the light. His role was to be a witness to tell the story. We read this in John, in John 1, 6 through 8. There was a man, a legendary man, sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And church family, this is our role as well, to be light bearers, to be testifiers, to participate with God as his kingdom is breaking into our world. Because the light of Jesus is shining. The light of Jesus is shining. And we can see it in what is happening here at Lake Avenue Church. We can see it in what's happening at 500 Villa, where the church has opened its doors to those who have been incarcerated and has said, we want to give you a hope and a future. We want to give you a place. And so, they give res- so we give resources, we give clothes, so that people don't have to retreat back into the darkness. They can live in the light. We see it in our Alpha class, who this year had the biggest class ever. This is a class where people can come if they have questions about Jesus, if they have questions that they want to work out about their faith. Countless people came to know the Lord in this class this year or said that their faith 
was refreshed. The light is here. We see it in our children, in this young eight-year-old boy who in September had a brain clot in his brain, and he has been hospitalized ever since. He is in a wheelchair. He can't communicate very well, but about a week ago, he got a 10-hour pass to leave the hospital. He got a free day to leave the hospital, and the first place he wanted to go was here. Because this little boy loves Jesus. This little boy loves his church family. And this little boy's church family loved him. He came down to the children's department and kids crowded around him and they prayed for his healing and they asked him how he was doing and they hung out with him. The light of God is dawning in our children. We see the light in the way that our worship department has reached his hands into the community, into Blair High School, a very underfunded school, and has provided instruments and mentorship to the orchestra. We see the light in our care ministries, who has visited 3,000 different visits, 3,000 visits over the last year. I was trying to do my math. That's like nine a day. That is a lot of visits to people who are in need, who are ill, who just need somebody to show up for them. The light is piercing the darkness here at Lake Avenue Church. The light is piercing your darkness. I'm sure many of us in this room carry a darkness around inside of us, and you know that God's light is bursting into your life, and you could tell story after story of how that's happening. But don't hear those words and think, our church is so great. We are doing such a good job. I can take a break now. Hear those words and think, our God is so great, and we have got to get with the program. The train is moving. The kingdom of God is breaking in. And the question is, where are we? John the Baptist knew that his role was to testify, was to testify about this great light. How are we testifying How are we pointing to that light? How are we participating with God in the work that he is doing? The light is breaking in. The kingdom of God is breaking in. Where are we? Annie, when you ask the question, where are we, um, that really resonates with me that the end of our two weeks was uh, time was spent in, in Thailand. And, and uh, many of you know Randy Needy Nelson, one of our international staff, two of our international staff. And uh, they live in, and work in a place called Pattaya, Thailand. And every time I'm in Pattaya, I ask myself, where am I? It's just such a mind-bending and heart-crushing sort of place. Uh, Pattaya, Thailand is is famously known as the sex tourism capital of the world. It is a very troubling place at so many levels. There are 35,000 people engaged in that industry, according to the last Thai census. It is a very dark place in so many ways. And hopelessness seems palpable in that place. And yet we were there with this small community of Christians... And I want to tell you what this community of Christians, both expats and Thais, were doing. You see, it was the 12th year in a row that they had gathered during the fall to do public praise and worship, believing that by honoring God's name in public and by asking Him to bless this city, indeed, God will bring light. It will be incremental. 
It will come slowly and progressively. But even as while we have sat here, the light has progressively been entering this building more and more physically. So it is that spiritual light will be progressively making its way into that city. The, the last night, the, the closing night, a, a Thai pastor who works and leads a flock in that place, he was challenging all of us who were at this gathering, maybe a hundred or so of us, how much faith and hope is in our reservoir? Do we have enough that we can see Patia becoming a place where God's name is honored, where the light would break through in this profoundly dark place? You see, for over 25 years, people like some of you in this room have gone to Patia to prayer walk through the city. Asking God to cry out to God. God, pierce the darkness in this place. For 12 years, this, this public celebration, Patia Praise, has gone on every night in public places in Patia, inviting God to show up. Because we believe that the spiritual status quo is not acceptable, and that's not our idea, that's God's. That's what John was saying. That's what the Isaiah passage is about. Brokenness is not acceptable. Darkness is not the status quo. Light is to be the status quo. And so faithfully, people have come. And this, this pastor concluded by comparing Patia to a giant boulder, a big rock. And he, and he said, do you know how you break a big rock? You hammer on it. And then you hammer on it. And after that, you hammer on it. And when you're done doing that, you hammer on it. And he said, for 12 years, we've been publicly worshiping once a year for a week because we believe those are hammer blows. And the way a big rock breaks is a little crack begins to develop. And a little crack becomes a fissure. And a fissure becomes a big crack. And a big crack eventually breaks the rock. So it is with a little light piercing in to a very dark place. It is our place to make a way in the desert today. The deserts of our homes, the deserts with some of our family, the desert in our workplace, the desert in our school, the desert in our city. Like John the Baptist, we are to be way makers. That a little light may begin to enter into the darkness. My teammate, our teammate, Esther Cho, she said this to me when we were in Patia. She said, Scott, you know what? We're again, we're in this dark place. Patia, Thailand. She says, Scott, no matter how dark it is, God will still come. God will still come. It's easy to say it in the light. To say it with conviction in the dark, that's a challenge. That's a statement. That's the hope of, pier of light piercing darkness. God will still come. The worship team is going to come up and lead us in a song of response, but I want you to take a couple of moments quietly and I want you to ask this question. Let God search your heart about this question. This Advent, where would God have you be a way maker for Jesus? Ask God to search your heart. Reveal to you this Advent season, where would God have you be a way maker for Jesus? Because the light 
is piercing the dark.